we are in Luke 13. We were in Luke 13 last week, but later in the text, now we're near the start of Luke 13. And um, the title I've given today is uh, Repent or Perish, You Decide. There is an urgency with which uh, we hear today's gospel, or at least there should be. Um, just a question, is it, are you feeling sleepy today or are you feeling awake? <laughs> I love the delay in the response there. I'm just trying to decide how interactive you want to be, because um, I can stand and talk here very easily, but you might want to talk back at me. So are you feeling interactive this morning? I'm going to take that as a no, because only one person said sure. Um, all right, fine. Um, it's just good to know where we are. If you want to have a rest, that's fine. Um, you can sleep in church in sermons now, because you can go home and watch it later. Um, there was some people uh, coming to Jesus and telling him what had happened, which was that Galileans were slaughtered when they had gone to worship. So they'd gone to pay their sacrifices, uh, to make their sacrifices, and it says in verse 1, um, Pilate had mixed blood with their sacrifices. Um, in other words, they got killed when they were going to worship. Uh, one of the things that we take for granted um, in Canada is the right that we have to come and safely worship. And we are conscious that uh, sometimes it's churches, sometimes communities of other faiths uh, where um, that safety is broken. Um, and it is important uh, value and protection that we have, that we are able to meet freely like this. Because across the world, um, we know that lots of Christians could not do what we can do. They cannot meet freely. And we see here the Galileans going and offering their sacrifices, um, and they were killed. And there is, um, you know, we're taught, aren't we, as kids, we're taught cause and effect. If we do this, then that will happen. It's the if-then. Are you with me? Okay, uh, that's about as interactive as I'm going to get this morning. Um, if-then. If this happens, then this happens. If you do this... Um, you could, uh, you could look at it as uh, Newton's third law. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Um, that, however, Jesus is saying, is not the case when it comes to sin. Because what's happening here is that he dives in uh, with this speech about repentance and the need to repent of sins urgently. And he tackles them, uh, he, he rugby tackles them right around the bottom of the legs and throws them on the floor. Um, he, in effect, is saying, you think that because these people died like that, they must have had a worse sin than you. He calls them out as being judgmental in the way he's judging someone else's sin. And actually, he says, no. I tell you, no. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. They didn't die going to worship because they were worse people or worse sinners. He said, everyone is going to perish. Point number one, point number two, he hammers it home. He says in verse four, those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. He is, again, reminding them, 
once and goes in for a second hit. This is for all of us. We have to be careful when we judge other people and say, you know, they must have done something really bad because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and that is something that we know and we are aware of. We have our confession week by week, and today I got you to turn from one side of the church to the other. And that's something I first experienced when I was uh, visiting Israel um, and visiting in, in a, a Jewish synagogue, and, and that's what they did for confession there as they met at sundown. Um, on uh, at the start of the Sabbath, and they made their confession. And there is that something about turning around. We take that as Christians into our baptismal services, um, and um, in, in some traditions, the way the churches are built um, is that the, the, the back door is the west door, and then the front of the church is, uh, is the windows behind the, where the communion table is um, at the front. And so they will turn and repent of their sins facing the world out of the back door. Um, and I, I remember a, a, a clergy colleague from a few years ago who said, you know, it's, it, it's kind of cool in the middle of the baptismal service to open the church doors and look out into the shopping mall that was right there next to the church and saying, do you repent of your sins as you see uh, the cathedral of the shopping mall? I repent of them. And then you turn around to face um, the cross, the stained glass window with a picture of Jesus behind them at the east end. Do you turn to Christ? I turn to Christ. Repentance isn't the same as saying sorry. It includes saying sorry, but if all we do is say sorry, all we're being is Canadian, right? If all we do is say sorry, we're just using a script. I'm sorry. When you bump into someone, I'm sorry. When you cut in front of them in a line, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But repentance isn't just saying sorry, it's turning away. And so when we repent, we say sorry, and we change direction. We can say sorry and keep going in the same direction. It's a very effective communication tool. And when I joke and say it makes us Canadian, that is, that is a really useful tool. Because as soon as you've said sorry, um, I know from working in customer service, the quicker you can say sorry, and if you deal with people, mad, angry people, the quicker you can say sorry, the better. It's the one thing you are allowed to interrupt them with when they're telling you off because your company's terrible or you, know, you work in a grocery store and there's no bread or whatever it is. As quick as you can, say sorry. Because if you don't, they will probably finish their diatribe having a go at you, and I've experienced this, and nobody said sorry. So I learned very quickly, uh, you want to say sorry as quick as you can. Sorry. But saying sorry is not the same as repentance, because you can say sorry and carry on in the same direction. And so when we come to confession and we come to worship, we say sorry, not so that we can go out and carry on doing the same things in the same way that we... But to, to change, to turn away and to go the other way, which is easier said than done. And that's why we need to come to church and hang out with other people who are on the same journey and who are finding it just as hard as us. Because the Christian journey is hard. And one of the things that makes it hard is being aware of readings like we've had today, of the need we have to confess our sins, to say sorry, to turn and to repent of them. Because in turning and repenting, there is a change 
There is a change that we enable God to do in us and through us. The third image Jesus uses to hammer this home If the first two are stories that are quite specific to the context that require us to look in and understand a bit more, the third one is a bit more simple. He uses the fig tree, verses 6 to 9. He told this parable, it says. So just a tip when you're reading the Bible, um, I've got a cheats edition here. Mine's got red letters for the words that we think Jesus might have said, um, and black bits for the the bits that uh, everything else. Um, And so... It says, then he told this parable, and here's the cheat. This did not actually happen. This is now a parable. So when you're kind of reading the Bible and you go, which are the bits that are history and should we take as factual and which which are the bits that are parables, often there's a clue and it normally has the words, then he told this parable. And so that's to help us understand um, that the bit that he just said, that included two bits of history. Uh, which you can find in historical facts if you find in in other sources. Um, So now he's telling a parable, and my microphone is still doing something funny. Sorry about this. Um, A man had a fig tree growing. Anyone grow fig trees in in their yards at all? One person grows a fig tree, fantastic. Two. Any advance on two? Two fig trees in the church. Um, He grows a fig tree in the vineyard, Um, I guess there's more than one of them. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years I've been coming to look for fruit, and there's nothing. It's not doing a thing. It's wasting the soil. Just cut it down and grow something else. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll put some fertilizer on. If it bears fruit next year, then fine. If not, then cut it down. Lots of things to notice here, and you probably looked at this in your life group studies if you, if you uh, spent time on this passage. Um, this is obviously an established tree. It's been there for a while, and the vineyard owner is frustrated because it's not producing any fruit. Uh, so... A few years ago, I went out to a store, which I won't name for liability reasons, and bought some apple trees, two of them actually, um, and, uh, and, and some other trees, and planted them um, in our uh, backyard. Um, and for about three years, the apple trees did not produce any apples at all. And so we were having a conversation at home, Bridget and I, about what we should do with these apple trees. And I, quoting the Bible, because um, I'm a priest and that's what I do, said, no, I just, <laughs> I, said, um, I said, we should just cut it down and get something else. And she, stepping into the role of the gardener in this situation, which she is, because um, I just cut it down and buy something else, she said, no, d- d- just give me a bit more time. I'll, I'll go to a proper nursery, not the place where you bought the trees from, and I'll find out what we can do. And so she went and she found something. And last year, um, having given it the extra time and the care and the attention and the watering, and probably we didn't go on vacation because there was COVID, and, and so it was, it was cared for all the time, with, with a lot of care, uh, it produced some apples. Lots of apples. There you go. Um, Lots of apples. Um, And if it was up to me, I'd have just cut the thing down and bought another tree. Um, So just a a real-life example there. Um, I know it's not a fig tree. It's an apple tree. 
what's the point Jesus is making is in this parable, there's two sides, aren't there? There's the vineyard owner and then there's the gardener. So the vineyard owner doesn't come along and cut the tree down. He says, what are you doing? And the gardener says, just give me another chance. But there is an implication that, that it's finite. The owner of the vineyard is not going to let this go on forever. Because if he lets it go on forever, then it will just become, you know, an, a, a, I don't know, what's a vineyard without any trees bearing fruit? Just a forest. So we see the grace of the vineyard owner in saying, fine, you carry on. You give it more time. And we see uh, the diligence of the gardener in saying, let me do some more work. So how does that apply to us in the church and in the life of faith? Well, it's wonderful seeing people coming back to church after COVID. Um, and uh, we're seeing people coming back to our 9 o'clock service. We're seeing new people coming there. We're seeing people coming back at 10, and we're seeing new people at 10. Uh, so it's a, it's a great time to be here in the church. But frankly, now everyone's coming back. I'm about done. I'm ready to go. I'm exhausted. That's how I feel, just being honest and speaking from the heart here. You know, if it, if it was up to me um, on a completely human level, I, I wouldn't mind doing something different now. We've got the church through COVID with a lot of people doing a lot of work. Um, but as a leader, I'm pretty tired. So why am I here? This is the reason I'm here. Because the vineyard owner says, the work isn't done. There's more you need to do. There's more fertilizing. There's more digging. There's more gardening to be done. And maybe others of you who have journeyed through COVID feel the same. Maybe you feel like you're tired, you're done. Actually, for pastors across the country and probably the world, a lot of people are saying, you know what, I'm, I'm done. And they're leaving ministry and they're leaving churches because they're done. They're exhausted. It's been a tiring season for everyone. And, um, I, I, and it's just very tiring preaching to a church that's empty. It's very disheartening. Knowing that as I look at the camera on the back wall, which I can barely see, um, and there's a little green light. So as I, as I look at the green light in the times when no one was here, just trusting, leaning on the vows I made at ordination, you will preach the word in season and out of season, uh, said the voice of the bishop or somebody. It did sound like that because uh, it was in England. Um, you will preach the word in season and out of season. And it felt during COVID um, that, that I was preaching out of season, but trusting. Trusting that as I look into that camera that this word will reach somebody somewhere and someone will be encouraged, inspired, and hear good news in it. This repenting and perishing is, is difficult for us. But actually, this is why I get up in the morning and come here. Because if I didn't believe that Jesus was the only way when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, I would quit this job tomorrow. Sound harsh? But it's true. If Jesus is not the only way, I'm wasting my time and we all are. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
and we're here because we know it. And often we have a wrestling inside us when we hear passages like this about um, this need to repent because we all know people who haven't repented. Or we know people who've fallen away and we long for them to come back and so it tugs our heart and it makes it hard for us to hear. And we have two choices. We can try and explain the Bible away and say, well, he didn't really mean he was the only way. I know it says he was the only way. He didn't really mean it. Or we could say, well, if Jesus said he's the only way, then that gives us a fire in our belly, an imperative in our footsteps to go and do the stuff that he calls us to do, to share the good news, to be the good news, to live the good news, to preach the gospel in season and out of season. And that's on all of us, to preach the gospel in season and out of season. And so as we go, we are all, as Christians, like this gardener in the vineyard. We've been given some time with the people we know, with the people we love, with the people we know and we don't love, but we work with them, or they're in our families, or they're in our friendship groups, and we're called to go and share good news with them, to give them fertilizer, as it were, to dig around, to take more time. The truth is, we don't have all the time in the world because we know that the world, uh, and if COVID's taught us anything, it's that things can change rapidly. And so we have to find ways to share the good news. The church, if we're not careful in this next season, is going to become so focused on getting people back that we don't do any evangelism. So focused on inviting people to come and worship with us who already know Jesus that we don't go and find others who don't. Let's be a community, and if you're watching this from somewhere else, where you are too, where we don't get comfortable with the socially distanced pews. Let's be a community where we get to a point that we have to have someone sitting next to us who's not in our family or our bubble, where the pews that are meant for eight people have eight people squeezed into them, and we feel uncomfortable because there's so many people here shoulder to shoulder, literally, worshipping together. The urgency that Jesus presents us with is not an urgency we're good at hearing in the Anglican church especially. Yeah, I'll get to it. I might come back to church at Christmas. I might come back to church at Easter. I, I, I I might come, I might, you know, explore faith when I retire. Well, I thought I was going to explore faith when I retired, and I've still got a belief in God, but now I'm finding I've just got so much to do because of the grandchildren. And my kids make me look after the grandchildren all the time, and I haven't got any time. Have you heard that from anyone you know? Jesus tells these stories to say, don't look at the people uh, who had something bad happen to them and say, well, they perished because they were worse sinners, and we're okay. He tells the parable of the man with the fig tree in the vineyard to say, go do it now. Yes, you have more time, 
but you don't have all the time in the world. For us, it can be hard when we know family and friends who have not discovered that Jesus Christ is the solid rock on which we are to stand. We're going to sing a song shortly. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And, and it has the refrain, um, all other ground is sinking sand. In a world that feels like sinking sand, let's be people who choose to put our trust in Jesus, to stand on Christ, the solid rock. And then not just to keep that for ourselves, but to go share with others. Yes, let's get the people back who we want to sit with us in church because they were here before COVID, but let's not stop there. Let's go share the good news with our more people, our friends, our family groups. Let's find ways to do it because the need is there and the urgency is now. Amen.